0: But we're on our last Sunday on our Hungry for God series, and we've been talking about the, the, the connection between food and our spiritual journey with God. Um, I know that for some of you, like me, uh, that connection sometimes gets a little bit frayed, and I think, you know, what I eat has nothing to do with who I am in Jesus And need to be reminded that no, it does. That sufficiency in Christ is is something that we live with. And then the way that we handle that resource of food is uh, a part of our stewardship. We're to a point in this series where I want to shift gears a little bit. Because we've talked about food in the world and the sufficiency of food and the insufficiency of food. And we've talked about stewardship and how we carry that but I, I want to bring attention to how God, through Christ and through direct revelation, used eating and the concept of food to, uh, wow, that's quite the rumble. I hope that's a plane going over. I don't feel the ground shaking. But God used the concept of food to communicate some things to us about what he wants done, and how he wants things to proceed in the world. And so we're going to look at a couple of passages that have to do with a feast. So it's not just talking about, you know, be content with just this amount and don't overeat or, or you know, think of hungry people in Africa or Asia. But there's this, there's this communication from God that he wants us to understand how he is going to interact with us. And he uses food to get our attention and also to invite us into this fellowship with him. And so that's what we're going to do today. And I just want to remind you that God in Christ used food to communicate to those who were around him. And in fact, Christ used food rather frequently to communicate some very powerful, big truths to the people around him. Now, as we talk about that, some of you are probably already thinking back to the Gospels when Jesus was on earth and the way he interacted with people and how he used food to do that. So there are some instances of that. So you remember that a big crowd once gathered around Jesus and they were listening to him teach and listening to him preach and they were spending a lot of time there and they weren't paying attention to what time it was and they got hungry and they weren't paying attention to their resources so Jesus decided he was going to feed them and, and they found only one person out of a huge crowd had brought lunch. Um, and i 've got to tell you the story of the feeding of the five thousand is one of my favorite miracles because you know we read through that and it you know we, we sort of focus on Jesus doing this thing of taking five loaves of bread and two fish and and praying over it and dividing it, and boom everybody 's got a full plate but you know as you as you walk through that story, there are people in that story, and you just have to wonder about some of these people so we 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 look at the disciples that follow Jesus and how they struggle with this. And they're, you know, they, well, there's no way we can feed these people. There's, there's just no way we have resources to do this. And then there's the one kid, I mean, it's a boy who has lunch and they find his lunch and I don't know whether the disciples confiscated it. You know, who's got lunch? Oh, I've got my lunch over here and, you know, give it. Just give it up. And if that was the case, that poor kid was probably in tears. That's my lunch. I don't know if any of you can remember back to going to school and taking your sack lunch and the possibility of somebody taking it or losing it. That's horrible. Maybe he gave it up willingly. I mean, I don't know if he was so intimidated that he goes, well, here, you know. Don't touch me. Here's my lunch. I'm not sure if that's how it happened. We don't know. But somehow, this boy's lunch left his hands and ended up in Jesus' hands. And that's when the miracle happened. And Jesus uses this, and he uses this as a teaching tool with his disciples. And He said, look, I can take care of you. I have... Resources to meet your needs. Believe in me. And there's enough. There's other meal messages that happen in Jesus' life. There's places where he's eating. He's, He's eating with sinners and tax collectors. And people say, that's horribly inappropriate. And I don't know if there was a cultural affectation about actually sharing a meal with these people. But you know as well as I do that sharing a meal is a time where you're not always certain of what is going to go into your body. And so, if you come to my house, I, you know, we will feed you. But you're never quite sure what you're going to get. Especially if Linnea and I are cooking, we're a little more adventurous. And we'll say, here, try this. What's in it? Try it first. And tell us whether you like it. Uh, You know, so there's this adventurous thing, but you know that when you share a meal with people who are more dispossessed or uh, poor, you might get food that's been kept a little bit too long or food that we otherwise would pass by and go, well, I don't want to eat that. I would rather eat some better quality food. Or you might even get food that was prepared in a place that was not really sanitary. And then you begin to wonder, and I've been there, folks. I've, I've been there. Some of you have been there where you're having a meal and you kind of wonder just how risky this is. But this is a meal and it's put before you and I'm going to share it with these people. And, and now it's not just a matter of taking in some nutrition. This is a real act of faith. Right? So we, we see Jesus in that context as well, kind of in that context. We see Jesus at a, at a wedding and they're enjoying a meal and the wine runs out. And then he's, he's pushed, he's prodded by his mother, do something about this. You can do something about this. I've always wondered how she knew what she had seen in his childhood. He goes, yeah, he knows how to make wine. He has the ability to do that. But there's a sense that he can meet our needs and he can meet them in the most beautiful and wonderful and qualitative ways. So we see over and over again in Jesus' life that food is a piece of the story. And I think one of the reasons and and really one of the primary reasons to me is it reminds us of Jesus' humanity. He ate food with us. And I imagine there were times when Jesus goes, man, I wish I, I shouldn't have eaten that. You know, it doesn't feel so good. It's not sitting well with me. As a reminder that he's fully human. (laughs) Scripture says he suffered in every way that we have. And we would just kind of go, okay, that's enough. Let's move on, right? So these meal messages that Jesus uses to communicate spiritual truth and remind us of who he is and the reality of God at work in the world. And then in this, there's this story that he tells of a meal in one of his messages. And the meal is of a great wedding feast. A wedding feast is being prepared. And a story of a wealthy man who's preparing this wedding feast and um, he doesn't get the response he had anticipated and that he wanted. And so in the wedding feast, there's this thing that happens where The invitations go out, and nobody comes. Now, if you guys do this to me tonight, we're doing a birthday bash, and if you all go, I know Pastor Hink and Kayleen invited us to come and have some fun and do some things together, and nobody shows up. I'm not going to be deeply offended. I understand it's the Pro Bowl tonight. um, And I know that football means more to you than I do. That's terrible. Talk about manipulation, right? But you see, this guy, he goes to great lengths. We haven't spent a lot of money, so really I won't be that offended. But this guy has spent a lot of money, and he has laid out a wedding feast in a culture where a wedding feast is a -a once-in-a-lifetime event. And he has invited the people he knows and loves. That's what we do, right? Right? These are the people I want around me at this event. And frankly, these are the people here I want around me on my birthday. And yet these people find other things to do. I'm busy farming. I'm I'm putting my own food together. I'm not going to eat yours. They find other things to do. And his friends and his loved ones abandon him. (coughs) on this greatest event of a lifetime. This significant life transition. And they're not there. And so here he's got this elaborate spread. I have prepared the food. And he sends other people out, uh, his servants out. He goes, you know what, just go get anybody. And and we're going to read in one passage it said, they went and got the good and the bad. I like that. They went and they got the good and the bad. They all came in together. And he goes, I've got a feast. And we're going to feast. And I'll invite whoever was willing to come to the table. In this story, and we're going to look at the scripture here in just a moment. Jesus prefaces the story by saying the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. So I want you to ask this question as we go into that passage. What can we learn about the kingdom of heaven? The way he uses that term. From this food story, how does the Lord tip his hand and reveal something to us about the way he wants his kingdom to look? So if you have your Bible with me, that's great. Or if you have a Bible app, get it on your your iPad or your phone. Uh, It's in Matthew chapter 22. There's a lot going on in this story, and I'm not going to cover it all. That should be some relief to a few of you. Uh, But we are going to look at some of this. So in this story, Matthew 22, Jesus has been talking to them. He's been spending some time with them. And it tells us Jesus also told them other parables. There were lots of stories he was telling. He said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready... He sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. So I just want to stop right there. So keep, keep it open or, or at least so you can go back to it. Keep your finger in there because we're going to refer back to this. So he says the kingdom of heaven is like a king who is preparing a wedding feast for his son and he sends out invitations. Now I've got to tell you, I'm going to compare a couple of stories about wedding feast and kingdom of heaven out of scripture this morning. But as we begin, understand that at the front end of this, we know, we, we've got the whole of scripture to inform us that the king is God. We understand who the roles are in this, although maybe at times we might go, well, I've done that. I've invited people and they turned me down. I know how that feels. But in this moment, the Lord has laid out, I have sent my son and my son is here to consummate my relationship with those who will follow him. And I am sending him in the most elaborate and costly ways. And that can be defined as a blessing. I am blessing the world with my presence. I am blessing the world with opportunity for relationship with me. I am blessing the world with the opportunity to have their sins forgiven, their guilt removed, for the distance between us to be brought together. I am going to initiate that, and I am doing it to bless you. So, this story starts by telling us that there is a prepared blessing from the hand of the Father to the world. The trouble is, as we go right into the story, and the second step of the story, is we find out that there's a blessing, but sometimes it's a blessing that is missed. There are people who have heard the invitation and go, no, thank you. Years ago I sat in my study with a young couple who wanted to get married. The young man had grown up in that church and I had known him for a few years and, and I had watched him go from being a teenager to a young man. I'd also watched him go from being pretty active in our church to kind of drifting away and he didn't attend any longer. He didn't attend any church and and he had fallen in love with this young lady and they came together and she didn't know anything about us. And I didn't know her at all. She was a total stranger to me. But they came to me and they said, we want to get married. And so we started the process and I do premarital counseling and marriage preparation. And, and so as I was talking to them, I shared this with you a couple weeks ago. That one of the things I tell young couples is y- you both need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want the strongest marriage, you both need to do that and be on equal footing. So I went through this, and, and you know, you guys, I've, I've prepared this. So teenagers, if you come and ask me to do your wedding, this is what you're going to hear. So just get ready, so tell that boyfriend or girlfriend who becomes a fiancé, if we go talk to him, this is what he's going to say. So I, I, I've kind of practiced this, and I tell this, this is why I think in marriage having Christ as a part of your marriage is really crucial. And and then I get to a point where I just go, do you have that? And if you don't have that, can I help you establish that? Can I bring you and introduce you to Jesus Christ? Now, I've done this a few times, and I've had some pretty good success. And, and, you know, there's another couple in Illinois that they walked in off the street. They were going by our street, and I did this, and I led them to the Lord. It was great. And they've become really good friends. Beautiful friends of ours who love Jesus. But with this couple, they came in, they sat there, and he's nodding the whole time. He's heard the stories, he knows. And I would even speculate that the Holy Spirit was, was pushing him and wooing him and drawing him at the same time. And so he goes, Pastor, I, I need this. I need Jesus back in my life. And so I prayed with him, and then I turned to her. And she was, no, no. And so I, I left it at that, and, and they left, and, and they came back for the rest of the premarital counseling. I, I did their wedding. But I was grieved. You know, I went home, and I just thought, what did I do wrong? Where did, did I not use the right words? Was I not forceful enough, manipulative enough? You know, what could I have done to get her to that point of going? I want the wedding feast. I ended up sharing my my heart with a friend in ministry, another pastor, and I said, you know, I laid it all out there as good, you know, as as well as I can do this. And she goes, no, I'm not interested. I'm not. I'm not doing that. And he goes, he he said these words to me. He says, Hank, he says. You remember, the Lord is a gentleman. He invites, he does not coerce. And people are free to turn him down. Uh, You know what's beautiful about this is, is, went through this with them, they were married. Years later, I was traveling through the town where they live, small town, and went into uh, a store there as I was just driving through and went into the store and somebody came up behind me, tapped me on the shoulder. It was her. And I turned around and I go, hey, how are you doing? And, and you know, she thanked me. She said, I want to thank you for marrying us. I have a good husband and I'm blessed. And that was about the sum total of our congregation. I said, you know, it, it was an honor for me. Thanks for letting me do it. And glad to see you guys are doing well. We've kept some connections, but... In that moment again, I was just reminded, but there's a feast and you're hungry and you're missing it. So it's a blessing that is given from God. You can live in me, but some people say, no, thank you. I'd rather live in the scarcity of a desert and do it my own way. Let's move forward in this passage Coming back to verses 4 through 6, Jesus goes on in the story. So he sent other servants to tell them the feast has been prepared. The bulls have been and fatted cattle have been killed. And everything is ready. Everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went their own way. One to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. So they they not only missed the blessing, they felt antagonized by the blessing, they felt threatened by the blessing, and they felt that it was permissible to murder the messenger. That's the world we live in. Things get so mixed up that the greatest of good news sometimes appears to people as a threat. So let's move on from what we just read. As God, through Christ, opens this story, he is also telling us (coughs) that there is sufficiency in what he is doing. And so we just read that everything is ready here. Everything's ready to go. I've got everything taken care of. All you have to do is show up. Everything is in its place and nothing is missing except the guests. I don't know if you, I'm sure most of you have experienced this, where you go to someone's house, they've invited you to come, perhaps for a meal, and when you get there, you find out that they have prepared in every way, and they have prepared really the best. And so you go to their house, and they're ready, they meet you at the door, they're waiting when you arrive, and you come into their home, and, well, let's sit here for a moment, and then the, the, the food is ready, and... And if you need to wash your hands or, or get ready for the meal, that's fine. And then you come in and you realize that their best china is on the table. The table's all set. There's not a crease in the tablecloth. Cups are already filled with beverages just waiting for you. Dishes are set out there in the middle of the table and you can smell there's an aroma that is just so good. Good. I had this experience when I was a boy. We had been traveling. My parents and I had been traveling. And we got delayed by car trouble. And this was in Africa. And we were supposed to arrive for supper with some other missionaries. And we were going to spend the night at their house. But we were delayed. And this was way before and in a different world to cell phones. And so we didn't arrive until about 10 o'clock at night. And we got there and we were all... Oh my goodness, are they even still awake? Are they wondering if we're even still alive kind of a thing? And we went to the door, knocked at the door, and they, they, were there. they were right there. They were so anxious because we were late. And they opened the door and said, Oh, come in, are you all okay? Did something happen? Well, we had some car trouble, and we shared our tales of woe with them. And, and then we said, Well, if you guys just want to go to bed, that's fine. And they go, Oh, no, no, no. We have a whole meal. We've been waiting for you since about 6 o'clock. And we could smell it. And, you know, it was 10 o'clock, and this was also not only, you know, pre-cell phone, but this was at a time in Africa, and some of you can remember times like this in America where, you know, after 6 or 7 o'clock, everything just closed. And so not only, you know, were we delayed and a little bit distressed, we were hungry. And I was a boy of about 10 years old, and I could eat. I still can they said, no, no, we've been waiting for you, and here's the meal. And we came in, and there was food on the table, and the table was set, and we sat down, and it was just like arriving in heaven. Everything is prepared. Everything is laid out, and it's perfect. And, and I remember sitting down there, and this wonderful missionary aunt of mine said, I have set a place just for you. And it had a different place setting. It had, you know, a plate that had a cowboy on it. And, and you know, it was just this. this I knew you were coming. And so this is a place for a boy. Now, in a family of all girls, that is awesome. <laughs> and we sat down. And she started to uncover the dishes and the smell. And, and the house was warm. And, and we just, you know, it was like, vultures at a buffet. And we just started eating, and we started taking this in. And, and we realized in that moment, they've been waiting as long as we have. And they're as hungry as we are. And they're smiling, going, eat up, you know. And the funny thing was, we all ate, and we got full, and then we all went to sleep. Because all of a sudden, our needs are met and we are at peace, and our bodies just rest, and we all went to sleep. And the next morning, we were all apologetic, and, and bless her heart, she was, this lady was so gracious, wonderful. she goes, no, 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 that made me feel so good, that what I did blessed you. You realize that the heart of the Father is such that He is never happier than when His people enjoy His blessing. The heart of the Father is never more pleased than when the hungry and the hurting sit and eat and rest at the table He sets. And it's ready. And there's nothing missing. Dessert is there, my friends. There's everything, what's the saying, everything from soup to nuts, Right? The meal is complete and spread. And the blessing of God is more than sufficient. So I just want to stop and say, maybe stepping aside from the issue of literally food, just to what is lacking in your life, where you're feeling like something's missing, I want to tell you that the Lord sets a table for you and he is never more pleased than when you sit at that table. So there's sufficiency. Moving on. I want to jump forward now to Revelation 19. Because in the book of Revelation, when the Holy Spirit is speaking to the Apostle John, it is revealing this other story, this fanciful, incredible story that sometimes for us is hard to understand. But sometimes for us it's easy to understand. So as he's talking to the Apostle John and he's leading him through these visions and this imagery... He uses the same imagery of a marriage feast, a wedding feast. So in Revelation 19, just just these couple of verses, 7 through 9, this is what the Apostle John writes. He says, let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him, the Lord, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. Now, there's a couple things going on here. And we're, we're shifting from this parable of Jesus into this vision of John. But interestingly enough, it's, they, the Lord uses the same imagery. He's using the same kind of story to get our attention. We understand wedding feast kind of stuff. And, and we understand this story enough to go, you know, as, as the Lord says, you know, I have prepared this wedding feast and I have invited and I am ready to bless through this wedding feast, and my bride is prepared and is clothed in fine linens. And I have to tell you that uh, I I have yet to go to a wedding, and I doubt I ever will go to a wedding where the bride didn't care how she looked. I don't think it will ever happen. And... And in this, you see all this preparation that has been done and, and all this blessing that is ready in the midst of turmoil is a moment of peace. It's a moment of peace. And as there's this description of a bride who is now coming in, uh, we understand, you know, the, 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 the imagery shifts a little bit and it changes a little bit. And now uh, you see the bride and our understanding of this as we interpret scripture is the bride of Christ is the church. Over and over again when it talks about the bride of Christ and and this wedding imagery, the church is who is coming, who is joined to the Son. And as the bride comes, the bride wears... This incredible outfit that is described as the good work of God's people. <coughs> These robes of white. 1994 was the year when the world turned upside down for a little bitty country in Africa, Rwanda. 1994 was this culmination of bigotry and violence that just came into a, a genocidal moment. And millions of people died. And they fled. And we lost some incredible brothers and sisters in Christ. 1995, summer of 1995, I attended our general conference in Indiana. We held it where we had people from all over the United States come and we took care of some business. But we also, in that general conference, they always invite foreign uh, visitors from churches around the world. And at that point in time, Rwanda was still a part of our group here in the United States. They didn't have their own bishop and they weren't autonomous as a church. They are now. But because of that, they sent a delegation, and we had this we used to have this tradition in the Free Methodist Church every time we had a general conference every four years. the foreign delegation that would come, we would have one service where we would have them process in. They would, they would kind of parade in by country, and somebody it was kind of like the Olympics it's a Free Methodist version of the Olympics, where somebody comes in with a banner that tells the country and. These people from around the world are—they're they're so proud of their home and their heritage. They would wear their traditional garb, you know, these outfits of their tradition, and so they come in. And, and it was, as a kid, I remember it was great pageantry. And I remember thinking, I am somehow connected to these people from Japan and these people from Argentina and these people from Rwanda. By 1994 I wasn't a kid anymore, but, but I remembered I knew all about these things and I'd heard the stories from our missionaries that were just heart-wrenching and violent. And here all these others got dressed in their in their traditional outfits, and and my dad was there, he had brought some from Mozambique, where we had friends and I knew these guys that were standing there in line, and so these Mozambicans grabbed me and pulled me and they said, you're one of us, you walk in with the Mozambique delegation, so I did. And it, it, that's a little bit uh, intimidating too, because they don't just walk, you know, they kind of they dance, and, and even though I grew up there, that is something I never inherited. So I'm getting ready and I'm kind of preparing myself and we're laughing and we're carrying out, we're enjoying the moment. and, and You know, M and R, we were doing this alphabetically, so we're not very far from each other. And I turned around and I looked behind me, and here's the Rwandan delegation. And every single one of them wore a white robe. Now, if you've seen pictures of some of my friends from Africa or some of you have been there, you know that Africans love vibrant, cheerful, bright colors on everything. And they're all wearing white. And I, I, I stopped in that moment and I realized what they were doing. I, I know enough about Scripture and I know they know enough about Scripture. They were all wearing white and they weren't laughing and jovial like we were. And I was reminded that, that Scripture says that not only does the bride wear white robes that are the works of righteousness, but it tells us at another place that that those who are in Christ are wearing white because they have been washed in the blood. Another point in Revelation. And I was moved. I was moved by that because I knew that every single one of those people from Rwanda knew somebody, and, and probably most of them had lost a family member. And I am, I am moved by the fact that the Lord gives peace to his people. Now sometimes that means that, that things just settle around us and the Lord does a work that, that, that is corporate and goes out across community and country and brings countries to peace. I believe that. But I also know there are moments when the violence of the world is at our doorstep, but the peace in our hearts is miraculous. And the Lord tells us through this story that at my table there is peace. I want to follow up with another story. There was a, there was a time in my family's history when I was a boy when being at the table together was was Filled with conflict. And I I don't say that as I mean, we weren't, you know, punching each other in the nose, but my family is very verbal and vocal. And so mealtimes were a time when we just talked to one another and we would say things to one another, and we're pretty open with what we say. And so we would, you know, say things and we were young kids at the time, and so we said things that were probably inappropriate. And my oldest sister was deeply troubled by this. She has always been a peacemaker. And so she argued with us and said, you guys just be nice to each other and can't we just enjoy a meal together? And this went on and on over a series of weeks where meal times were just kind of fractured and we were needling each other and making fun of each other and reminding each other of everybody's shortcomings the way families do, right? And so my sister, Angie, went to her room and she made a sign on a piece of poster board and we had a, we had a, a light that hung right over the center of our table like many of you have and, and she hung this sign right over our table that said, if you can't be nice, be quiet. Or something to that effect. I was young enough, I can't remember for sure. But we have gone back again and again to that sign. That she, it was her attempt to bring peace at our table. And of course, you know how that probably went, right? It made a good target. But there's something about coming to the Lord's table and recognizing that, it, that when the Lord feeds us, there is no reason for shoving and pushing and conflict and grabbing and accusing. There is peace there. So what are the lessons that we learn from this? Well, the first question I would ask you is, is why miss the feast? Why miss this kind of a blessing? Why not give it a try and scoot up to the table? So if you're in that place in your life where you go, I have no idea what he is talking about. This makes absolutely no sense to me. My suggestion is, why don't you come and talk to the Lord and maybe with me or someone else that you trust, and say, Lord, I want somehow to be fed by you. Because once you have, you'll understand that. That's, it's, it's one of those experiential things. You have to come to Jesus in order to experience that kind of feeding, that kind of meal. The next lesson I would challenge you to adopt into your life, and many of you have, is that there's this, Real truth that God has enough. He's got enough for you. (coughs) Whatever seems to be missing in your life, God has enough. And that's a lesson that I have to learn every week. Whether it's money or time or attention or emotion, God has enough resources for what we need. And then the last lesson I just want to remind you of is going back to that image of a bride. We, the church, are the ones who make the dress. It is our righteous, good works that clothe the church, that create the beauty for the wedding. And so I want to challenge you because I I believe we live in a time and a day and an era where uh, it's all too easy for us to be fractured and, and pulled apart and not unified and easy to be ugly and far more easier to be ugly than it is to be beautiful. And so us as a church, one of my prayers is that the Lord would help us to do things together that make people sit up and say that, that is beautiful. That was a hard knock. You know, there are people all around us that don't believe that, that people of differing opinions can sit together. And they don't believe that people of different experiences can come together and walk side by side. And that, that fragmentation is the way we're going to go ahead and we're going to go forward. And so let's just split and divide and, and, and get into these tiny little groups where everybody looks like us until we're down to a group of one. But the, the message of the gospel is that the Lord brings people together and he forms them into one body. And so let's let that be a lesson to us at the feast.